it's amazing how God multiplies and you know you turn some of these health issues around and all of a sudden you give hope you give people a, a new perspective on life because many of us don't know what it means to not know where the next meal is going to come from that's a hard one Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Shalane, and we're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways. Today I have two guests with me from two different organizations, and I want to first introduce Carl Goosen, the manager of Fraser Valley Gleaners. Carl and his wife Elaine live in Chilliwack. Carl handles the day-to-day operations at the Gleaners plant in Abbotsford, B.C., Elaine helps with the tours and the administration, and they both have a passion for feeding the world's hungry and working side by side with volunteers, and they've been doing this ministry since August of 2001. My second guest is Lindsay Brooks, who I have the privilege of working with at Food for the Hungry, and he is the Director of Relief and Humanitarian Affairs, and he's been with Food for the Hungry since 2000. So today I'm excited that we are going to have opportunity to learn more about gleaners and to also learn more about how Food for the Hungry and gleaners work together. Uh, Carl, Lindsay, welcome here, and we're going to jump right in. So Carl, one of the questions that we are asking all of our guests in season two is what does it mean to thrive? So if we could just start there, and thanks for being here. Thank you. Yeah. When I think of the word thrive, I think, well, what am I going to measure it with? How am I going to figure out, are we successful? Are we growing? And what I go to first is scripture. And and I look at Matthew 22, 37 and 38, where, where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And what we do at the Gleaners is basically, in the name of Christ, working with volunteers, collecting fresh and frozen food, processing this into dried food, and making it available to organizations that have the boots on the ground for distribution. Mm. You know, the, the demographics of our volunteers... Uh, are 70 years plus. Hmm. In fact, I had one fellow, he was 85 this morning. And you know what? They get up in the morning and they get excited to come to the gleaners. Why? It's a God-given love of, or a way of loving your neighbor. Hmm. And you just see that because... It's so different than a regular working environment because everybody's here because they decided this morning that they wanted to be here. Hmm. And and you see that in the, even though they're cutting up onions this morning <laughs> and there's lots of tears, yeah. <laughs> you see the joy that they have because they know that every hour that they're working here translates into feeding people. Hmm. We usually tell them it's uh, 150 bowls of soup per person per hour. Well, that adds up because we're here for about three and a half hours Mm -hmm. and coffee's free. 
And coffee's free. That's right. <laughs> That's great. It sounds like your volunteers are thriving in doing yes. this work. Yes. Yeah. And Carl, that was actually going to be my next question for you, is to give us a little overview of who the Fraser Valley Gleaners are. You've spoken a little bit about that. Um, for listeners who don't know anything about the Gleaners, can you tell us how does the organization work? You've mentioned some of the goals, um, some of the outcomes. Uh, just tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. So I said we, we gather vegetables, and so we do that by going out into our community and uh, talking to the farmers. Some of them are growing um, vegetables, tomatoes, greenhouses, peppers are in greenhouses. That season starts in April and goes till November. Mm -hmm. So we will go once a week, sometimes twice in the peak of the season, picking up peppers and tomatoes. That's the, the main long season of vegetables and bring them back to Abbotsford and uh, cut them up, starting off with looking at each individual fruit, whether it's a tomato or a pepper, and figuring out why was it not good enough for the local market? Hmm. Was it just the wrong color? just the wrong shape or was there actually something that you wouldn't want to eat so you can cut out what you didn't want to eat okay and the rest of it then goes into uh, a pail a five gallon pail another volunteer comes around and picks up those pails uh, and takes it to a commercial dicer so everything mm -hmm. then is sized to a three quarter of an inch square then put on baking pans and uh, onto racks, which then go into the dehydrators. Mm. And uh, the season goes on uh, starting in June and July, where you've got uh, field crops starting to be harvested locally. We've got carrots, potatoes, um, broccoli, Brussels sprouts come later on in the season. Mm -hmm. But um, all these vegetables then usually four or 5,000 pounds per day. And when per I say day, day per yeah. day? And a day is only till noon. Oh, my goodness. So volunteers, on the door, it says we're open at 8.30. But there's days like today where I will have oh, probably 15 people here before 8.30 because they couldn't sleep anymore and they got and because, up yeah they just couldn't get there fast enough to cut up onions <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they would much rather come half hour early than yeah. stay 20 minutes late oh that's great so great. i have to be careful that i you know sort of ring the bell and say it's cleanup time hmm. uh soon enough otherwise mm -hmm. they just walk out and leave me with all oh. the cleanup <laughs> you got to watch those volunteers. <laughs> you have to watch, right? So uh, it's it's really exciting to work with that energy of, mm. come on, let's go. Let's yeah. feed more people. We can yeah. do this. Yeah, and like I sure. said, you know, three, four, five thousand pounds in a morning of vegetables. And, uh, you know, you do that five days in a row mm -hmm. and it adds up. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's crazy. 
Now, Lindsay, you've been uh, very patient and quiet there. Uh, I'm curious for you to share with us a little bit. Food for the Hungry is primarily known as a development organization. And so can you help us understand what is the relationship between the gleaners and Food for the Hungry as it connects to food relief, but also the development work that we do? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, that's such a great and important question because it really is, it's not really understood by quite a few people when, you know, when you really think of the whole process. So I love explaining it. For us in, in Food for the Hungry, uh, the food aspect is just a very, very small part of the big picture. Mm. But it's such a critical and important part of the big picture. And in the development side, uh, so many times when we're moving into new communities and starting our development and relationship work in the communities, a lot of it is is about, you know, identifying what needs to happen and how can we walk alongside those uh, as we develop our programs within each community. And a lot of times it's got to do with food, health, nutrition, mm -hmm. education, and training. Mm -hmm. And I see that our relationship with Fraser Valley Gleaners has been a, just a critical part of what I call the gap hmm. for us in the food situation and in programming. For example, the one, you know, a couple of very good examples in Burundi, we send shipments of food there, uh, large shipments of 40, you know, 20 metric tons at a time wow. for identifying in the Burundi communities where we're working and doing development, but uh, in the Burundi, the community, they don't have a lot of land per family or don't have hardly any land per family, so they can't produce enough for the entire season mm. after their crops are done. So when they run out of food, a lot of times uh, our Food for Hungry Burundi staff identify the families that are really running short of food Mm -hmm. And that that food is is brought in. We ship it from the gleaners to them, so that it can be a gap between, you know, their they run out of food and their crops materializing again and having food again for the next whole season again. So it's absolutely mm -hmm. critical for nutrition for the kids mm -hmm. in schools and for at home and for everything, and uh, and and also for um, another big one is. Um, in the classrooms, we do a lot of, in Guatemala, Nicaragua, um, lunch programs with kids where we actually have the moms of the kids volunteer. We supply the soup uh, mix to the schools and to the communities, and they store it there long term, and then they teach the families uh, you know, how and the mothers, how to, to prepare the soup, you know, to make sure that it's soaked long enough to rehydrate mm -hmm. and all of those things that are so mm -hmm. important. And then they actually uh, teach them and then they teach us how they like to spice it up with their kind of spices and what the kids like. Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot of the Guatemala kids, I tried it with the kids and they like these little corn totitos kind of tostitos put inside the soup when they're having it because it's okay. called... It's so cultural and they love it and they, you know, and they get to have the healthy stuff too that at the beginning, mm. maybe they like most kids here, they don't really care about that part. You know, yeah. they just want it to have fun and taste good. So, so we do yeah. a lot of that and we can incorporate a lot of our hygiene 
training, uh, community training, leadership training, along with those programs at lunch with the with the kids, with the parents. And it's just a great way of just uh, helping our whole community development process and how it goes along and just the leadership and the training is such a huge part of that. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I really appreciate you commenting on that the, the gap yeah. that the, the soup fills and then yeah. also just the, uh, the beautiful additional pieces that come with that around mm-hmm. the training that yeah. can happen that, that has the long-term development kind of, of effects. Yeah. Um, it, Carl, you and Lindsay work quite closely together because, uh, Lindsay, you secure all of the shipping. And um, yes. this, this has been and perhaps continue, will continue to be for a while a significantly challenging time to ship anything. Do you want to speak a little bit to that, Lindsay, and or Carl? <laughs> yeah, it's um, well. It's definitely in the twenty years that uh, that Carl and I have been doing it. It's been by far the most challenging on the logistics side. Mm. You know, for example, right now, you know, we're just we just happen to have one shipment of food available at uh, Okanagan Gleaners, and um, I've attempted the, my ninth time this week to ship it out. Ninth. Ninth time since August, October 6th, we've been trying to ship this one shipment out. And wow. it's just all of the COVID restrictions, all of the logistics. And then on top of that, the Fraser Valley's challenges of flooding and all of those things combined has made mm-hmm. it just astronomical. And, you know, the whole COVID-19, I think there's like they said, even just in the briefings that they had this morning with the UN have said that 30% of the of the real abject poor in Central and South America has increased by 30% in the last 20 oh. months alone. Oh, so you can add, you add that to the world and it's something like 120 to 130 million people are dealing wow. with, you know, a lot more extreme poverty of not having food, like even one meal a day. So it's mm. just mind boggling to think that of those is, numbers. That so. is, it's devastating. Yeah. Um, Carl Lindsay has spoken a little bit to the some of the shipping challenges. What are some of the unique challenges that um, Fraser Valley Gleaners are facing right now? And just for audience who are listening, just so you know, we are recording this in um, early December when the Abbotsford flood situation has uh, just taken place. And so that that's the context that we're having this conversation in right now. I appreciate uh, the years of working with Lindsay and definitely value that partnership. And, you know, uh, the different organizations we work with, uh, the, the ones that are good at it come to the surface. And Lindsay's one of them. So I really appreciate that. Uh, challenges, like Lindsay has said, continue to be growing. Um, I'm not directly involved with the shipping aspect of it, but it does play into how we sort of uh, set our schedule. Like we're talking about packaging more soup mix starting in January. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have, you know, all this dry product now that has to be packaged into bags and boxes. And we're thinking, well, do we do, we do it all in a one big push? Or do we spread it out? Mm. And, you know, 
storage becomes an issue then if I have it all sitting here and waiting mm-hmm. and it and it can't go out on a timely fashion, uh, maybe we're going to have to spread it out so that we're we're just filling orders when we know we can get rid of it. Otherwise, mm-hmm. uh, storage becomes an issue with uh, just where are we going to put it until the truck comes to pick it up. So yeah. we're just trying to look at that. And, um, you know, other than that, COVID has affected us by just trying to keep our volunteers spread out a little farther. Everybody has to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that has been a real learning curve for everybody. And we all struggle with change, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, overall, I would think... uh, Everybody has done well. We've just gotten used to wearing masks. And it uh, the onions are still strong, whether you wear a mask or not. <laughs> Can you wear, like, swimming goggles or something? Does that help? It doesn't. It doesn't. No, no matter what people tell you, it doesn't. Yeah. At okay. least I haven't exactly. found it. But we just find that uh, there's lots of food available for us to keep on drying. Mm. And as the, you know, the greenhouse industry now is uh, uh, shut down and into replanting new crops for the next year, uh, we have a a wonderful brother in the Lord uh, contact in Washington by the name of Earl Lee. And he actually will go to the packing houses of onions and source for Mm. us. Um, a truckload of onions. <laughs> More onions. <laughs> More onions. And yeah. when I, you That's know, awesome. when I say a truckload, I'm talking forty thousand pounds, a fifty-three yeah. foot wow. trailer. Yeah. Wow. And we do about four of those a year. Oh so my goodness! A hundred thousand pounds of onions. Wow! And, it's no wonder uh, that. Um, when FH staff come and do a, a work time, we always seem to land there on Onion Day. <laughs> we do a lot of onions. I have staff members who say, can you please call ahead and find out when it's not Onion Day? Yeah, yeah. Well, and we can sometimes then in the wintertime, like if I say we're going to spread out our packaging, we will do fresh product from 8.30 till 10. Uh-huh. And then after the coffee break is when we'll package soup for two hours. Okay. Yeah, that's when you start up the big conveyor belts with the buckets yeah. and you've got people. Yeah. You want to just describe that a little bit? Because that's that's a, that's a fun yeah. process. <laughs> so it's an assembly line where we have uh, probably eight ingredients going into the uh, recipe. Mm-hmm. Uh, tomatoes, potatoes, onions, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, carrots, beans, uh, but then we also, we, we kind of pass, uh, pass along a, a four-liter pail, and mm-hmm. everybody adds their cupful to that pail. At the end of the line, it's dumped into a uh, funnel, mm-hmm. which fills the bag. The bags are hot-sealed and into a box. 24 mm-hmm. boxes go on to a pallet. Mm-hmm. And the boxes are going to weigh about, uh, oh, 50 pounds, hmm. 22 kilograms. Mm-hmm. Just enough for people to carry or, or move, mm-hmm. most people. 
and it seems to work well at the other end to have it in that size for offloading. Right. Right. Um, so all these boxes, then a container, like a 40-foot container, would hold uh, 960 boxes. Uh, it'll be about 18,000 kilograms of wow. food, which is wow. dry and has a shelf life. And so... Um, what What is the shelf life of it? I'm just curious. We give it two years. Okay. Well, yeah. that's great. So the uh, the delay in shipping isn't a, a problem on that front. There still will be lots of lots of shelf life for the product when it gets there. That's right. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Yes. Amen. <laughs> yeah, it's very helpful to have a long shelf life, and it's really helpful for all the programs too in the schools and stuff because they could have six months worth you know, a set aside there and then be able to work through that whole season and not have to worry about that. That's phenomenal. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. Um, Lindsay, you touched on this a little bit, but maybe you can expand on it a bit more. The increased hunger and food needs around the globe. Um, we've, we've touched on COVID and I think that's probably mm -hmm. front and central to everybody's mind, but that's not the only reason that hunger and food needs are increasing. Can you speak to that a little bit? No, I, th I think COVID has been a big problem for sure, but uh, more on the logistics side, but also on the hunger side. But the real big problem right now is conflict and unrest and natural disasters mm. as well. Uh, you take places like Syria where 6 million people have left the country and they're, you know, food insecure and you know, you're dealing with it in Ethiopia now and a number of countries, Venezuela and Somalia, just to name a few. And all of this conflict and everything causes so much uh, food insecurity as well as, you know, droughts, severe droughts in Kenya and South Sudan and North Sudan and Ethiopia now as well. So it all escalates into, you know, having to relocate or whatever. So the food insecurity thing becomes monumental and they just don't, they don't have a capacity to even make the food that they need for their families. So, so it puts a huge burden on the world to chart trying to feed. Like right now, they've just had a call for over five and a half million people in Afghanistan alone that are, are in critical need of food just because of the instability, the political, the conflict and, right. and not having the systems in place. And it's collapsing around them. So those are happening mm -hmm. in different places all over the world. So mm -hmm. so it is beyond, in my 21 years, I've never seen it to this degree, not even wow. close. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm wondering if somebody might be listening and not be familiar with the phrase food insecurity. Can you just define that? Because we use, we talk yeah. about hunger, we talk <laughs> about all kinds of different terms. What What do you mean by that? I guess for me, the, the food insecurity part is just not being able to have, you know, the environment where you can actually produce food or you're making a living and you're being able to buy, you know, food at a local market and be able to secure food in an environment, in a home or setting. And that's basically what it is. And you're on the go or you're not in an environment where you can grow any food or or anything like that. So you're totally food insecure and don't have the resources and mm -hmm. to be able to buy it locally at mm -hmm. all financially either. So, And that's um, kind of brings me back to the, just the hope that comes from being able to distribute this food. 
Carl, you have mentioned thousands of pounds of onions and carrots and all of these things. Are these all donated? And how does that, how do you end up with so much produce? We trust God to provide. Hmm. Sometimes the, the food will be donated or we will be able to uh, give our tax receipt for the value of. Okay. Sometimes we have to, um, for example, we found that the vegetables are locally grown, but the value of the meal co- comes when we can add protein. And the protein is not something that we grow locally here. So we have to go into the prairies, uh, getting peas, dried, already dried peas or lentils, mm-hmm. uh, beans. And, yeah. and that, that actually makes up 50% of our bags of soup mix. So if you think okay. of one bag of soup mix, our... Uh, that's going to feed uh, or make a hundred bowls of soup. It's going to be about one and a half kilograms, about three pounds. Mm-hmm. And half of that is a combination of beans. This mm-hmm. year we got a truckload of beans out of uh, Regina, mm-hmm. a truckload of lentils out of Saskatchewan, and a truckload of peas out of uh, Alberta. So those are all added and and just makes that every bowl of soup is a balanced, nutritious meal. Mm -hmm. And we have just praised God for those partners to be able to make that meal so valuable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the cost of shipping, the cost of drying, it, it all adds up. But the end result is quality. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen that time and again where, you know, we'll go the extra step and actually uh, roll or crush the peas hmm. so that they become uh, an easier or a faster reconstituting. Okay. When you're hungry, you don't want to wait how many right. hours to boil. You have sure. to bring in extra wood to boil that or burn the fire. Hmm. We just tried to... Uh, you know, when, when I get a truckload of peas, it'll be uh, almost a, a hundred thousand pounds in a truckload. It takes us about 30 hours to hmm. roll or crush those peas because it's, it's not high volume crushing. We're doing this with our volunteers that are all 70 plus. Mm-hmm. And to do things fast is not a good thing. You just need to do it slow and steady. Mm-hmm. And the job gets done. Mm-hmm. And it gets, gets done well. But what an incredible uh, value your volunteers give you when you think about those people hours of work that are being donated. That really is quite remarkable. Yeah. Wow. Well, gentlemen, we are fast approaching our the end of our time here. Uh, we've talked about a lot of hard things. I've heard a lot of hard things about the state of the world. Just, I would love to end and know what is it about the work that you do that gives you hope? 
Yeah, I think for me, it's uh, it's so easy for me from the level that I go to the field. I get to visit the communities. I get to see all the kids. Mm-hmm. I get to interact with them in the school settings and and uh, try the soup with them and see the joy on their face. And just to see the, you know, the ramifications of our relationship with Fraser Valley Gleaners and the impact that it has on the children mm-hmm. and the families and the mothers and fathers as well. The mm-hmm. nutrition and watching from, you know, just uh, t- terrible signs of malnutrition on so many different instances to actually thriving with beautiful, shiny skin and happy and mm. Not lethargic, but just energetic and jumping around and having a great time like kids should be doing. And I know it's the impact of the soup and Mm. that high protein and nutrition and just the training and and all of those things that come together and culminate in that. And it it just gives me great hope and joy. Every time a shipment goes out, I know that it's going to work well with our partners on Mm -hmm. uh, Fraser Valley Gleaners, but also our partners with Food for the Hungry and other um, you know, like-minded groups that we try and work through sometimes to help that incorporate that. And I know that it's going to, it's going to make great impacts, uh, mm. you know, at the community level and the, with the kids and with the families in general, because it takes pressures off of a lot sure. of times takes pressures off the family and the fathers and stuff too, that are trying so hard to, mm. to make a go of it. And, uh, you know, that's the thing, like even, uh, one quick story of the, the the big two hurricanes that went through uh, Nicaragua and Guatemala last year in 2020. Uh-huh. And they devastated their gardens, devastated their crops. And, and it was very devastating for all of these communities and development programming. It set us back, the country director said, 10 years. Wow. And, you know, just having the impact. And, and Fraser Valley Gleaners came alongside us and we got almost 100 a hundred, what was it, two and a half containers, so about 50 tons of food that we put in strategically. And we even had a helicopter pilot that mm-hmm. donated their time to actually helicopter some of their food into remote areas that were cut mm-hmm. off by the bridges and everything else. So the areas of hope and just being able to know that you're helping them transition back into development and speeding mm-hmm. up the process again, Mm-hmm. Of, of you know, their dreams, not ours, their dreams yeah. of wanting healthy relationships, communities. So for me, yeah. it's it's a no brainer. I can I, it happens all the time. So oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Thanks, Lindsay. Carl, would you like to add anything from your perspective? Well, I love to see how we all have something to give something to contribute. Mm-hmm. And we need each other. We can't do it alone. We don't mm-hmm. want to, you know, be be doing what Lindsay's doing. We want to do this well. Yeah. But it's so key to be able to say, well, yeah, you're giving food, but nobody's going to want to hear you talk about Jesus unless they've got their stomach full. Mm-hmm. And I have people ask me, so if I give you money, donations, how are people going to know about Jesus? Mm-hmm. Well, it's because of the partners we have with FH. Because mm-hmm. they are on the boots on the ground that are saying, we're feeding you, we're helping you with, uh, you know, some of these basics. But now you've earned the opportunity to tell them about God's love. Hmm. And that, mm-hmm. that just gets me excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, we, you know, we all have places where people are asking for funds and for money and donations. And 
I mean, that need is never going to go away. But if you can tie that together with uh, saying, you know, we've got people we, we trust and we rely on and we know they're doing a good job, then uh, then it's amazing how God multiplies. And, you know, you, you turn some of these health issues around mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you give hope. You give people mm-hmm. a, a new perspective on life because many of us don't know what it means like to not know where the next meal is going to come from. Yeah, right. That's a hard one. And when we have health, we have a greater capacity to take up our own lives and to do work and to create our own livelihood opportunities. So that's wonderful. Thank you, gentlemen. Carl, I wish you and Elaine the best in your retirement. I understand that's coming up soon. And just want to thank you on behalf of Food for the Hungry, on behalf of listeners and the communities that you really have worked to serve over these last 20 years. So thank you so much for your diligence and faithful work. It's a joy. Thank you. To explore what your next steps could be or find out more about Fraser Valley Gleaners and what other Canadians are doing about poverty, start by checking out fhcanada.org resources.